Blessed my heart. I'll be singing those songs tonight and tomorrow when I wake up. Awesome worship. Thank you, gals, for leading us tonight. Daniel chapter 3 tonight. Daniel chapter 3. This is a story that takes me all the way back to my earliest memories of my parents taking me to church and Sunday school. And one of the first stories that I remember is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Daniel chapter 3. Before we dive into it tonight, last week we saw that God declared his sovereignty as he revealed a dream to Nebuchadnezzar about the history of the world and how God's kingdom was going to come and destroy all their kingdoms and stand forever. Tonight we're going to see God's sovereignty defended. God's sovereignty is being challenged in this chapter tonight, in this story tonight, and God's going to defend his sovereignty as well as defend his people. And I hope tonight's message will be an encouragement to you and maybe even something that you can share with others as well. Remember the key to it all, this whole book, is Daniel chapter 5, verse 21, the Most High God rules in the kingdoms of men. God rules, God reigns, God is always on his throne and never relinquishes that throne, and we're going to see that again tonight. Man was created by God to worship. That's why man all over the world is a very religious creature. I mean, there's religion and religious people all over the world, and it has been since the beginning of time, because God created us not only physically, but he created us to have a spirit. And that spirit within each human being abhors a vacuum. And if we're, spirit is not open to God and to a relationship with him, we try to fill that spiritual void in some way with something. We're going to worship something in our life. And if it's not God, the Bible declares it as idolatry. You see, idolatry is a corruption of true worship. Idolatry is either worshiping the wrong God or worshiping the right God in the wrong way. Jesus even said to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 5, God is looking for people to worship him, but to worship him in spirit and in truth. So when you come to Daniel chapter 3, the first thing we see is that the ruler of the world at this time, King Nebuchadnezzar, the ruler of the Babylonian Empire, had a golden statue made, 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. Huge. Think about how big that statue was. Think about how expensive it was to make it. Gold, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. 
He erected it on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon, in a place where when the sun would hit it, it would literally light up the valley. It was in a place where the most people could observe it at all times. Now, before we go any further, let's remember, this is the same king at the end of chapter 2 last week who, after Daniel revealed this dream, said to Daniel, Certainly your God is a God of gods and Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery to me. Chapter 2, verse 47. Now, he's polytheistic. He doesn't believe that God is the only God. He's just maybe one of the top gods, if you will. But it also shows how fickle we are as human beings. Because at one time, we can be sort of worshiping God or acknowledging God in some way, and then a few days later, we're erecting an idol. And we're doing it out of our own pride. We're going to see that next week. Nebuchadnezzar was quite the egomaniac. He was a very proud man because of his power, because of his position, because of his riches, because he was at the top of the food chain in the ancient world at that time. And he wanted glory for himself instead of giving glory to the one and only true God. So then verse 2 says, King Nebuchadnezzar sent out a summons to assemble. And you have a list of all the, what I call, grand poobahs of the kingdom. And you might say, why does the Bible go into, why doesn't it just say all the important people of the kingdom showed up? Because the Bible wants to emphasize how even though these people were the leaders of the greatest kingdom on earth at that time, they had no spine. They could not think for themselves. They simply did whatever the leader asked them to do. Unlike these three young men from Judah who stood and would not bow. So Nebuchadnezzar assembled the satraps, prefects, governors, counselors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other authorities of the province to attend the dedication of the statue that he had erected. This is verse 3. Again, so the satraps, prefects, governors, counselors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial authorities assembled for the dedication of the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had erected. They were standing in front of the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had erected. Then the herald made a loud proclamation. Do you owe peoples, nations, and language groups? Because the Babylonian kingdom was ruling the world at this time. The following command is given. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, trigon, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music. He had quite an orchestra there, didn't he? For that celebration and commemoration and ceremony. You must bow down and pay homage to the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has erected. Okay, don't, don't miss that. That's key. Now, as I said a couple weeks ago, one of the things that this chapter reminds us of is this. All of our decisions 
All of our choices, all of our behaviors in this life are determined by one of two things, and only one of two things. We either do what we do or say what we say based on internal principle or external pressure. It's one or the other. Everything, every choice, every decision, everything that we do is either based on an internal principle or external pressure. Obviously, God wants us as his people to live not based on external pressure, but by internal principle. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go through the chapter tonight. And you will see here in verse 6, clearly there's going to be a consequence of non-compliance. Because what the king wants and what most human leaders down through history wants because of their insecurity when they're leading is they want total allegiance and total compliance. They want total buy-in. Why? Because it helps them to feel good and more secure that they got everybody to comply and everybody to bow. They got total allegiance. It's a way for them to sort of exercise their, their power muscle, if you will. Because when we as human beings get into places of power, we like to exercise that power, you see. And you and I, in this world today, as it's always been with God's people, we have to determine in our life, what are the non-negotiables? What are the things that we're not going to, in a sense, bow to? Now, we've already said, there is much about what Daniel and his three friends were involved with in Babylon that they let go. It wasn't worth fighting over. It, it, it was not a battle that they wanted to take on. But when it came to those in authority over them, in some way impugning or infringing on their exercise of worshiping God and God alone, where in a sense they were forced to make a decision between the worship of their God, and the worship of anything else. They had to make a choice. And that choice had to be made out of internal principle because they were getting a lot of external pressure. In fact, we read in verse 6, if you don't bow to this image, you'll be thrown into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. There's the consequence, because the king wants total allegiance and total compliance. So verse 7, when they all heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, trigon, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, all the people's nations and languages just began bowing down and paying homage to the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had erected. Because we're not going to be the only ones that doesn't bow and... Frankly, we don't feel like going into a fiery furnace today. So we're bowing. We're bowing. Everyone bows. 
Now, don't miss verse 8, because there's always more going on to any situation than what is on the surface, right? There, there's things underneath the surface. The lives and situations are like icebergs. What we see is just a little bit above the surface, but there's other things going on below the surface. And there were certainly things going on below the surface that was going to stir the pot, so to speak, even more in this story. Because the Bible tells us at that time there were certain Chaldeans who came forward. They were part of the wise men of the kingdom of Babylon. And they brought malicious accusations against the Jews. Now, I want to point this out because this is really important. The phrase brought malicious accusations was actually a phrase in the... Uh, language that was used for cannibalism, e eating the flesh of another human being. It's trying to depict the, the ruthlessness uh, of these Chaldeans against these three young men. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You know, you got you to... Gotta, you know, flattered the king, make him feel real good about himself, right? You have issued an edict, O king, that everyone must bow down and pay homage to the golden statue when they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, trigon, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music. And whoever does not bow down and pay homage must be thrown into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. But there are Jewish men whom you appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon. Stop right there. That's what's been eating at them, no pun intended, going back to cannibalism. But this is what's been in their crawl for many months and maybe even years. See, they were the top sort of advisors to the king. Then these young whippersnappers, Daniel and these other young men come in from Judah and sort of push them to the side. And they, ever since then, had this jealousy and envy against these young Jewish men. And they were just waiting for a time where they could bring them down. Folks, not much has changed in human nature and human history. You may have had to experience something painful like that in your life where somewhere along the line, someone became jealous or envious and was just looking for any kind of opportunity to try to bring you down. That's where these three young men are. And by the way, you may ask the question that many ask in this chapter, where's Daniel? We don't know. Maybe he was sent off uh, to another part of the kingdom by King Nebuchadnezzar on government business. We don't know where Daniel is, which in a sense is a story in and of itself because what it's showing is that these three young men didn't just rely on Daniel. You know how sometimes we can get so dependent and so reliant on another human being instead of sort of standing up ourselves that it can become sort of detrimental to us. And so Daniel was removed from the equation. It was just these three young men, and at least they did have each other. 
But they say, look, these three young men, verse 12, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men have not shown proper respect to you, king, and they don't serve your gods, and they don't pay homage to the golden statue that you have erected. And Nebuchadnezzar became angry. It says he literally was in a fit of rage, verse 13, and demanded that they bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before him. So they brought them before the king. Now notice in verse 14 something very interesting. First of all, here we find Nebuchadnezzar confronting these young men and trying to coerce them into a response that is more fitting. <laughs> he says, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't serve my gods and that you don't pay homage to the golden statue that I erected? Now notice something very interesting. Notice he dropped the first accusation that the Chaldeans had made up in verse 12. Why did he do that? because he knew that wasn't true. They had shown proper respect to the king. They had been faithful servants of this king, just like Daniel. What he did say was, but you don't serve my gods or worship them or pay homage to this government. And he was correct about that. And if you are ready... When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, trigon, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must bow down and pay homage to the statue that I had made. In a sense, he's given them another chance. If you don't pay homage to it, you will immediately be thrown into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. Now, who is that God who can rescue you from my power? There you start to see the pride, right? By the way, doesn't this guy have a short memory? Has he forgotten that the same God that was able to reveal dreams and visions to him through Daniel is the same God that can rescue these young men from his power? Because the Most High God rules in the kingdoms of men, not Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar's not number one. God's number one. And that's something you and I, again, have to continually remind ourselves of. Kings and leaders in the world will come and go, but God is always the one who rules and is always on his throne. Now again, not only do we need to remind ourselves of that, but as I said, as we move through the book of Daniel, the other thing besides being reminded of the sovereignty of our God is that we are challenged by the example of Daniel and these three young men. Because even at this stage in Daniel chapter 3, they're a little bit older now than 12, 13, or 14, but not much. I believe they were probably still late teens. So still very, very young to be having this kind of spotlight put on them and this kind of pressure, especially when the Bible tells us at this point that every other leader and every other person in the kingdom at that point bowed except these Three young men. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you a reply concerning this. Basically what they're saying to the king is this. They're, they're not being disrespectful. They're, not, they're just simply saying, we really don't have any more that we can say to you because you wouldn't understand it if we explained it to you anyway. We're standing and that's the way we'll remain. Uh, we're not going to bow halfway. I mean, 
think, think about the way they could have tried to rationalize this. They could have said, well, you know, guys, we know that that's just a gold statue. It's not really a god anyway, so let's just bow. We know it's nothing, right? Or they could have said, uh, you know, everybody else is doing it, so, you know, maybe we should do it too. They could have even rationalized saying, you know, God brought us to Babylon and now has elevated us to these high positions in the kingdom. And he wouldn't want us to give up those positions of influence for him in the kingdom simply by sort of throwing ourselves into the fiery furnace because then he can't use us anymore, right? So, I mean, there's all kinds of ways you can rationalize this, but the bottom line is this. Anything less than standing is idolatry. And these young men were so clearly committed to God that they were not going to bow no matter what. In fact, notice their response. And, and this response of these young men shows such courage and conviction. And don't forget, they were saying these words when they were standing on the edge of a fiery furnace. It wasn't like they were in some comfortable situation and they were saying, we're not going to bow. They could probably feel the heat of the flames as they were saying these words to the king. If our God, whom we are serving, exists, he is able to rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will rescue us, O king, from your power as well, one way or the other. If we go in, I know our God can rescue us. And if we go in and we get burned up, he still rescued us from, our, from your power because we end up in glory. But then notice this, verse 18. But if not... If he doesn't rescue us, let it be known to you, O king, that we don't serve your God and we will not pay homage to the golden statue that you have erected. They simply committed themselves to God. Whew. And I love the fact that they said, but even if he doesn't show up, we're not going to bow. You see, what this reminds us of is that our God deserves our worship whether he heals us or doesn't heal us. Our God is worthy of worship whether he does something that, that we would have rather him not done or not taken us into or, or worked another way or whatever, that, that we need to worship God simply because he's worthy of our worship, whether he always works the way we want him to or think he should and all of that or not. Even if not, we worship you, God. That's the place to be. Because so often, our worship can become fair-weather worship. We worship God, and we're enthusiastic about serving God when everything's going, you know, well in our life, and, and things are just clicking along, and, you know, no trials, and, and God is showing up, and everything's going well. But what about when we're on the, mid, in the, on the edge of a fiery furnace? Are we still going to say, God, you are still worthy of my worship? even if it looks like I'm going to get thrown in and perish. Notice this. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage, and his disposition changed. It literally meant his face got all contorted and wrinkled up. You ever been around somebody that's so angry that literally their face changes? You know, you know. That was Nebuchadnezzar. And here's the thing. Not only was he a proud man, but obviously he had an anger issue. And, and people that have anger issues, when they let anger control them, they make really even illogical choices. Because notice what he does. He gave orders in verse 19 to heat the furnace seven times hotter than it was normally heated. Now, wait a minute. If, I'm, if I want to hurt somebody, I, I want to torture them, I want to let them last in it a little bit longer. I don't want to heat it up. I want to turn it down to where they're just sort of like cooking in there. <laughs> Not that I really know what that's like, but... <laughs> I mean, in a sense, you turn it up that hot, they're going to die instantly. You're, you're going to, you know... And then he ordered all the strong soldiers in his army to tie them up, throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So those men were tied up while they were still wearing their cloaks, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, which is no small bit of information. Why do I say that? Because that tells us that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had come to this ceremony with, in a sense, their garb as leaders. They were trying to be as respectful to Nebuchadnezzar as possible. And they were thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. But notice, since the king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so excessively hot, even the men who escorted these three young men in were killed by the leaping fit. He, he killed his own good soldiers because of his anger, because of his illogical decision to heat the furnace up so hot that it even killed those that were escorting them in. And that definitely tells us how hot the furnace was. But those three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the furnace of blazing fire while still securely bound. Let's not pass over the fact that immediately, immediately, these young men knew God was not going to save them from the fire because they were going in. But, this is the best part. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was startled and quickly got up. He said to his ministers, wasn't it three men that were tied and thrown into the fire? And they replied to the king, for sure, O king. He answered, but I see four men untied and walking around in the midst of the fire, and no harm has come to them. I want you to be encouraged tonight by this. They had a companion with them in the fire. And if God chooses for his people to not be saved from the fire, he will make sure that he is with us in the fire. Because he never leaves us nor forsakes us. And he will go with us into that fire. 
And Nebuchadnezzar even goes on to say, and the appearance of the fourth is like that of a God, literally a supernatural spiritual being. I personally don't think this was just an angel that God sent. I think this was an Old Testament appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think he was walking around with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in that fiery furnace. This incident reminds me of these verses out of the book of Isaiah. Listen to these verses. God says to his people, don't be afraid, for I will protect you. I call you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'm with you. When you pass through the streams, they will not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not harm you, because I'm the Lord your God. Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2. That's exactly what was happening here. And can I say, I think that those four had some of the sweetest fellowship walking around in that fire for a few minutes. I'm sure there's been times in your life where you, in a sense, went into a figurative fire. And as a Christian, you hopefully sensed that you had a companion in that moment with you in the fire. And if you recollect and go back, I think like me, you'll remember that I felt as close to God as I had ever felt at that point. It, it was like there was something special about, even though I was maybe going through something very painful and, and very horrific, that because God was with me in the fire, I, I saw him in, in a, maybe a, a new light or a different way, or there was just a, a closeness there. There was a connection there that could only come when we were both walking around in that fire. Something we'll never forget. Then Nebuchadnezzar, verse 26, approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire. He called out, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego emerged from the fire. Oh, don't miss that phrase. See, if God allows his people to go into a fire, he'll not only be with us in that fire as our companion, but he will make sure that we emerge out of that fire. Job says, when I come forth out of this trial, I will come forth like gold. That's the kind of perspective and attitude God wants to build into his people that if he allows us to go into a fiery furnace experience, there will be something very special about going through that experience with him and that we will emerge from that fire stronger, better, closer to God than maybe we ever had before. I mean, I don't know about you, but would that not be the touchstone for the rest of your life? There would, there would almost be like a, a sense of, fearlessness and, and invincibility with these guys. Like, we went into a fire and it didn't even bother us. God, bring it on, whatever you got for us. 
Once the satraps, prefects, verse 27, governors, ministers of the king had gathered around, they saw that those men were physically unharmed by the fire. Even the hair of their heads was not singed, nor were their trousers damaged. Not even the smell of fire was to be found on them. I love the detail of the Bible. And the reason I do is because any, any of you, and I'm sure all of us here, have been around a fire at some point in our life. And you don't have to be close to a fire for that fire smell or smoke smell or whatever to get into your clothes and stuff. And you realize, like, you, it's hard to get out. These guys were in the midst of a fire, and they didn't even smell like smoke or fire. Only God can do that. It's like he goes above and beyond. It'd have been enough if he'd have saved them out of the fire and they'd have, you know, looked like, you know, crispy critters or something. I don't know. And smell. But no, God even goes, no, I'm, you're, nothing. You're not even going to look like you were in any fire. Then Nebuchadnezzar explained, Praise be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent forth his angel and has rescued his servants, who noticed two things, who trusted in him, ignoring the edict of the king, and gave up their bodies rather than serve or pay homage to any other god than their god. We'll end with this, but I want you to see these very important things. Two things about these young men. First of all, they trusted in him. It literally meant they rested all their weight on God. That's trust. God, again, they simply committed themselves to him on the edge of a fiery furnace. God, we're, we're yours. That's the kind of trust we need to not just rest some of our weight, but to literally rest all of our weight on God. And second, it says they gave up their bodies. Literally, they presented their bodies to God first. Therefore, their bodies was God's. He could do with their body whatever they wanted. And doesn't that then begin to echo in your mind what Paul said to the Romans? Do not be conformed to this world. Don't let the world pressure you into its mold, literally in the Greek language but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, Paul said. That's what these young men did. They not only rested all their weight and trusted God, they presented their bodies to God and said, God, they're yours. You want them to burn up in the fiery furnace? Fine. Because... Nebuchadnezzar even recognized they were not going to, and the word serve in verse 28 literally means to worship. They would not, they would rather give up their bodies than worship another God or any God other than their God. Notice how impressed he was by their unflinching, uncompromising commitment to God. That's why the church has got to get out of its lukewarmness. That's why we've got to raise our commitment level as God's people and be all in with God. Because this half-hearted commitment that, 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 you know, one foot in and one foot out and all that kind of stuff, 
first of all, that doesn't do us any good, and it certainly doesn't make an impact on the world around us. The world will stand up and recognize whenever God's people have an unflinching, uncompromising commitment to God like these young men did and who would not bow. Thereby, verse 29, the decree that any people, nation, or language group that blasphemes the God of Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego will be dismembered and his home reduced to rubble. For there exists no other God who can deliver in this way. And then Nebuchadnezzar promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon even more. But who really promoted them? God did. God exalted them. Why? Because he honored their commitment and faithfulness to him. God always stands up for those who stand up for him. And here in Daniel chapter 3, we see God's sovereignty is being defended. God's sovereignty was challenged by this king to set up this statue and tell everybody in the known world at that time, you've got to bow. God said, no, 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 no. Nope. Sorry. I have the last word. And I'm going to find a couple of young people who have the commitment and the courage and the conviction not to bow to that external pressure, to live by internal principle alone. And God is still looking for those people today, his people who have an unflinching, uncompromising commitment to him, because that's what we need in this world more than ever today, are Christians who have that kind of commitment to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for reminding us tonight, God, that there may be times in our life where you allow us to go into the fire, but God, praise you that we're never alone in that fire, that we always have you in the fire with us, God. And when we emerge from that fire, God, not only are we better off, but God, we make a great impact to the world around us when we're willing, when they see that kind of commitment. Because God... How we worship you in our everyday life shows others who we believe you to be. What kind of God are you? Are you a God that is worth laying everything on the line for? Are you a God that's, that's worth resting all of our weight on? Absolutely. You held nothing back from us. We should in turn hold nothing back from you, God. May we be all in with you, Lord Jesus. Would you take us home tonight, God? Would you remind us of the worship songs that we sung tonight? And may we even go to sleep tonight, Lord, singing those precious songs and waking up in the morning, singing them as well, God. We never walk alone, God. You are faithful, God. You are faithful. And may God, we... Take a look at ourselves and say, where do we put you, God, in our life? Do we put you above and in first place? Where's our commitment at right now? And God, if we need to recommit ourselves to you, just take that step. And let's begin to build 
an ever-increasing and growing number of people who have the kind of commitment to you that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. An unflinching, uncompromising commitment. Lord, thank you for the blessing that we've had tonight to be with you and to be with our brothers and sisters in your house. Would you already, God, be giving us expectation and anticipation till we come back again on Sunday and just dive right back into worshiping you once again in spirit and in truth. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you for being here. We'll see you next week.